Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're here today to preview the upcoming game against the Carolina Panthers. Cardinals are back on the road, a three-game stretch. This is the first portion of that stretch. Uh, Going back to Carolina, which is a team that has a storied history with the Cardinals. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast. And here to join me with your complete cards coverage is my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And uh, John, how are we feeling after the first loss of the season? Kind of an unexpected and upset loss, I believe. uh, I saw, at least with Tally site, which is what we're using this season for um, uh, SB Nation sites and other stuff to predict the outcomes of games it was like a 97 percent picked the cardinals and uh they did not win that game how do you feel about the cardinals heading into this one john hey blake uh good to be with everybody here double dose of the revenge of the bird podcast this week and let's put that lions game behind us and, and focus on a carolina panther team that very similar to last weekend they should win this game and they should win it handedly they are a superior team against Carolina in every, I think, position group. Uh, Looking at, you know, up and down the rosters, they're not comparable. Matt Rule is very much where Cliff Kingsbury was a year ago, but he doesn't have Kyler Murray at his disposal. So most people looked at this Carolina team prior to the season and thought, you know, if they won games, it would be behind their all-pro running back Christian McCaffrey. Well, he's not going to play this weekend. So you you compound that with the fact that Teddy Bridgewater has only thrown two touchdown passes on the year. looks like a marginal starter like he has been in the past. Yeah, they've got some nice complimentary receivers, but it's a defense, specifically a front seven, that's consistently being gashed against the run. Their offensive line isn't great. I know that the Cardinals are going to have to travel on the road and play, you know, a a noon start time, an early start time, 1 o'clock noon, whatever it is, on the East Coast. But what I, what I can tell you, Blake, is last year, it's very nice to see this team under Kingsbury perform so well on the East Coast. They went to New York. They beat the Giants early. They went to Cincinnati. They beat the Bengals early. They are capable of playing well. And I think now compounded with the fact that, listen, we're in a pandemic. Things are much more buttoned up. 
The players aren't going to be going out. There's not going to be a delay in travel because you're waiting on folks. It's, it's going to be much more organized even than it has been in the past. And the fact that there are little to no fans, I, I can't keep track of whether or not you know certain teams allow fans at this point, Blake. But it's not going to be enough to have a significant home field advantage, even if they allow some people in the building. So, again, this is a game the Cardinals should win convincingly. But, you know, we were just talking about it off air. The line's gone from five and a half to three and a half, which is Vegas predicting the Cardinals to be uh, victorious by three and a half points. Um, and generally a home favorite is viewed as a three-point favorite. So theoretically that should tell you that the Cardinals should win this game by a possession or two. And listen, if they don't turn the ball over like they did against Detroit, they should be able to dominate Carolina's defense. Brian Burns, their first-round pick from a year ago, defensive lineman, is a very nice up-and-coming pass rusher. But, you know, Blake, outside of that, they don't have too many, you know, there's not the Luke Keekleys of the world, right? They're, those guys are gone. That Cam Newton... Yo, juggernaut 2015 NFC champion team that, that embarrassed Arizona, they're gone. The Cardinals have had a tough time historically with Carolina, specifically over the past five to seven years. And so they're in a position now where clearly they view themselves as a up-and-coming playoff team, and Carolina is in a full-blown rebuild. They don't have their franchise quarterback of the future. They're just kind of trying to get by with a new head coach who, you know, He's, he's three games into his NFL career. He, you know, he was a college coaching success, unlike Cliff Kingsbury, but I do think Cliff Kingsbury does have a higher ceiling as a head coach. So just to kind of recap what we've seen and what we, what we should see Sunday, Blake, is we should see a refocused Cardinal team that was humbled by Detroit last week, knowing that full well they should have won that game. I think they're going to come out. They're going to commit to the run. This was a team that was gashed by Josh Jacobs. They were gashed by Leonard Fournette two weeks ago. I think the Cardinals are going to give Kenyon Drake at least 25 carries in this game. I think we're going to see the incorporation of Kyler on the run. And they're going to get back to what they do. They're going to play sound, sufficient football. They're going to work off of the RPOs. They're going to mix in some play action. And fingers crossed, Blake, DeAndre Hopkins plays. And if he does, I don't think this is going to be particularly close. The the thing that's interesting about Arizona so far through three games, when you're talking about purely – uh, the yards from a yards perspective, the Cardinals are top 10 in both offense and defense, which is something that we probably expected of the offense. I think what we didn't expect, John, is that the Cardinals are top 10 in offense being exactly number 10. And they're also top seven in defense as far as yards per game. So then when you look at why did they lose, the answer is pretty easy. They're at a negative three turnover differential uh, through the first few games of the season. And you can see how they have been uh, taking it away as little as they've been giving it up outside of that Lions game. Meanwhile, the Panthers, at least, they rank near the bottom as far as in the um, when you're talking about offensive stats for uh, their total yards and yards per game. Uh, it's definitely a lot different. You're talking about a middle-of-the-pack team. They're at about 372 yards a game. Uh, the Cardinals are at about 406. It may not seem like it's a whole lot, but when you're talking about how things scale out, when you're talking about top 10 versus being able to be about, you know, somewhere in the middle of the pack, and you're talking again, of course, with that three-interception game from Kyler Murray, uh, showed that there was a little bit of that that cut into their normal yardage total. Uh, that's one of the things, at least, that I think has been impressive about Arizona. Uh, overall is that even though their offense hasn't been clicking, it's still been producing. Uh, on the defensive side, a lot of that comes down to just how new they are with so many of their players that you have, John. They just have a lot of uh, young, young. I guess you call it young talent, but 
really they overworked. They lost Luke Keekley over, and uh, obviously Thomas Davis had already moved on, but their main linebacker core has been replaced. And now you're talking about uh, you've got Shaq Thompson who's there. You've got Tavir Whitehead at least who is kind of signed, but they've got guys who are just pretty much young. Brian Burns is in his second year. He had a uh, he's had a solid uh, rookie in second season. Um, but you've got guys like Troy Pride Jr. starting at least for them as a corner, as a rookie. Jeremy Chin is starting at right outside linebacker. Yitir Gross Matos is getting some play time at one of the defensive end spots. And, of course, Derek Brown, the number seven overall pick, who's been uh, active in their roster but has been one of the lowest-graded pro football-focused players. Essentially, you can kind of see him as a bull rusher. And he hasn't done too much else outside of that. Uh, part of the issue, of course, when you're talking about rookies, and we've seen it last year, is needing time to develop. But really, the defense for the Panthers, it, it really doesn't scare you a lot, John. They are going to have a, a solid player in Dante Jackson, who did pick off Kyler Murray last year, some may remember. Um, it, but as far as their pass defense goes, it's, it's not really something that's going to be stopping. There's a lot of what they'll play of rushing four guys up front, and they'll play a lot of zone coverage on the back end. Goal, of course, when they're playing zone is trying to force turnovers. And when you're talking about being able to force that, it's not something that they've done a great job at, but they've, you know, been slightly above average for the Cardinals. What I think the difference in this game overall, John, is that the Cardinals are averaging about 149 rushing yards per game. And the Panthers, as far as for what they're giving up in terms of rushing totals per game, it's not a league worst, but you're talking about at least a bottom third of the league giving up about 124 or so rush yards per game as a defense that's in the bottom third of the league this is kind of the spot where i think the arizona cardinals need to be able to come out and be willing to say hey this is a game where we're going to learn from the mistakes against the lions we're going to come out and pound the football uh, i would love to see them be able to have a lot more of some diagnosed running plays be able to use kyler's legs like we saw last year and be able to recognize that ultimately this is a team that really prefers to have Teddy Bridgewater be in a balanced offense. Like uh, Teddy is a pocket quarterback. Now he is playing the best ball of his career thus far. That's something as far as uh, you have to be given credit for. His deep ball especially, he's been one of the most accurate deep passers. Uh, some of that has been adding guys like a Robbie Anderson to the mix. They've got three, I would, I would at least say the Panthers wide receiver trio as constructed is probably better than the Cardinals. But their offensive line is where I think the biggest difference comes in because you're talking about the lack of mobility overall that Teddy Bridgewater has to the point where if you combine lack of mobility, not great offensive line play, again, they have not had their starting uh, left tackle, Russell Okung. He's not been playing. They've kind of thrown three tackles at it against the Chargers. None of them were able to handle um, the likes of uh, Joey Bosa. So what I think at least when you're looking at for this as far as being a bounce back again, what you'd love to see would be seeing what we've not seen already, John. You'd love to see this be three players who go off tomorrow. You'd love to see Chandler Jones go off against either an injured Russell Okung or a Hurts, whether uh, it's a Greg Little or a tackle who's not able to contain him. You'd love to be able to see uh, the likes of Kenyon Drake be able to go off and be able to perform and you'd love to see a bounce back game for Larry Fitzgerald because I think that you know that Hopkins is going to get his catches you know that Kyler's going to run seeing a secondary threat to be able to have to help I think will be huge for the Cardinals to be able to carry them the rest of the way I think that if those three players are able to have a good game John and Kyler is able to you know have a game where he can hand the ball off and take off a bit and not have to do a whole lot of work I think that this is a game that the Cardinals you'd hope they can handle and be able to kind of take a road victory because a lot of what we got to talk about john is three and one versus two and two is very very different for this team
Well, it absolutely is. And uh, listen, if the Cardinals want to be considered a, a playoff contender, you can't lose games like this, especially in the NFC West. This is when you're supposed to feast off the easy portion of your schedule and you get one to zero mulligans when it comes to that, and they used it last week. Um, again, 5-0, and 5-0, and 5-0. and That's what I kept hearing entering uh, this stretch of play that, that was the expectation from the fan base entering that Monday night game against Dallas in a couple weeks. And at the best, you're going to be 4-1. and one. You can't go into that scenario 3-2. and two. Uh, You need to be 4-1 and one to be taken seriously, to have a leg up on a division that could boast three playoff teams. Um, I don't care you know, how bad the AFC and the NFC East is. You need to win these winnable games. The Cardinals and the Panthers finished last in their respective divisions a year ago. That's why they're playing today, similar to Detroit, and you're already 0-1 in that scenario. You need to be... More, much more buttoned up you need to have a more aggressive game plan that doesn't include turning the ball over and like you mentioned Blake I mean Carolina's roster top to bottom is probably bottom five in the NFL if you just took rosters across the league I, I would say Detroit absolutely better personnel wise Washington has a better roster clearly with their front seven players and you know some of their offensive linemen Carolina's roster is down there with the Jets and the Giants as being some of the worst in football. They will, in my opinion, pick in the top 10 again. Could be a top five pick in, in route for them. You mentioned a couple of their nice young players. You know, Jeremy Chin, we, we saw it, you know, on display at the college level. He's a good player, and I, you know, I want to see Arizona's version of Jeremy Chin and, and Isaiah Simmons sooner rather than later. But between Chin and guys like Brian Burns, they've got some nice young pieces. But, I mean, Trey Boston starts for them at free safety. He's, he's a journeyman player at this point. So is Tahir Whitehead. Shaq Thompson's been kind of a little bit of a disappointment as a first-round pick. Derek Brown's not there yet. Kawan Short's career you know, fell off the cliff after that Super Bowl. So we just you talk about the fact that Arizona should be able to move the ball at will. They should be able to button themselves up from the turnover department. And then defensively, Blake, the biggest question, Mark, you mentioned it. Can Arizona match up with these receivers? Can Patrick Peterson, Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, and Byron Murphy put together a, a competitive game plan? And don't forget our buddy Farrell Cooper is their fourth receiver. Um, that, that's, a, that's a talented group. Um, so can they s- minimize that effectiveness of that receiver core while also – thinking about well they've got a gluttony of injuries at safety and so who's going to play center field for them there's no Budu Baker we expect this weekend Jalen Thompson's not back from IR um, Chris Banju who had been playing well is not going to play this week so Vance Joseph just mentioned at his press conference it's going to be Curtis Riley and Deontay Thompson starting that's a problem now I did think Deontay Thompson looked fine he looked fine in, in limited action last week thrust into play, and I think he's a better tackler. Clearly, we saw him tackle Peterson one-on-one in the open field. He's a better tackler than a coverage guy. They don't have a coverage safety really on the roster right now. Um, Not to compete with Carolina, I'm just speaking in general. Um, Now, what we've been kind of clamoring for, Blake, is, or at least I have, is let's get Isaiah Simmons back there, not only to log some snaps, but just his speed and athleticism. Let's see what he can do in coverage, because he hasn't been terrible outside of that first game against San Francisco. And Vance did mention it's the, the, the we're getting misinformation, I think, on purpose from this team, whereas initially it was Patrick Peterson saying, no, Isaiah's not working out with the safeties. And then we've had people on site that said he's working out with safeties and in individual drills. 
And then Vance came out today and said they've got a package for him or a couple packages. I want his package to be the starting package. I want him to be out there alongside Deontay Thompson, who I think is a better player than Curtis Riley. And I think at the end of the day, you just have to put your best athlete out there and let him make mistakes. But you know what? Let's say he gives up a blown coverage play for 30-plus yards. He may also intercept a pass. He may also force a fumble. That's what talented guys do. Seventh overall pick, there are racers of you know offensive, especially on the defensive end, offensive you know, game plans. They can they can wreck games on both ends. And so I, I just think that you roll the dice instead of what we know what Curtis Riley is. He's a borderline practice squad player that was on the team for special teams. That's it. We know Isaiah Simmons ceiling, we think, is one of the best players at his position. What is his position? We don't know yet because they won't play him. So I think that's the frustration you're getting from the fan base now is goodness. Uh, we've, we don't have Buda Baker. We don't have Jalen Thompson. We don't have Chris Banjo. That was a position group that you've mentioned in the past that has been weak because they didn't add a veteran. They, they tried to bring in Tony Jefferson. That kind of fell apart this week as he's starting to take visits coming back from that, I think, a torn ACL last October. They signed T.J. Ward, the former Bronco standout, but he hasn't played football in, I think, three years. And so they, they mentioned that's a long-term play, so he's not going to be ready this week. I just think that you bring along the seventh overall pick slowly, but you have huge needs defensively where he could be capable of coming in and making an impact. Something just doesn't add up. And as you know, I was somebody who preached caution and slow playing Isaiah Simmons development because everybody else was playing well at the, at the position. Um, but now they clearly have a need for somebody of his skill set. And if they don't play him significant snaps, like like if he doesn't log at least 20 snaps defensively Sunday, I am going to throw up the, the red flag. And I know you mentioned Isabella on Twitter as a comparison that they, they you know, just wasn't a factor last year. I, I would argue that, you know, Isabella was a late, late second round pick in a position group that was hard to overcome some veterans last year. Isaiah Simmons was the seventh overall or eighth overall pick and was coined by the front office, the coaching staff, as just a generational prospect. And they knew, like many others, that there was going to be a minimal training camp this year or rookie camp or whatever. And that doesn't stop guys like Derek Brown from playing on Sunday. That doesn't stop Jeff Okuda from Ding up DeAndre Hopkins. We need to see more Isaiah Simmons. And you know what? If they get beat over the top with Isaiah Simmons, I can live with that. Because at the end of the day, Blake, they don't have anybody superior to, to him right now who can play safety, even though he hasn't played safety in the, in the NFL. I, I, I honestly believe that. If, if Buddha was healthy and Jalen was healthy and the inside linebackers were continuing to hum, humming around and I, you know, Hassan Reddick was playing as well as he is at outside linebacker, I would say, okay, we can wait. But they got shredded on the back end last week, and it's going to be worse because Buddha's not around this week. I just think that you got to rip the Band-Aid off at some point and let him sink or swim. And I bet he surprises you. One's kind of, whenever you have a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, you see other picks playing. What's interesting, at least for me, for the most part, John, is, uh, like you said, the need that you have and the desire for Isaiah Simmons has been kind of split because everyone's wanted him to be able to play uh, as a hybrid kind of linebacker, this kind of move him all over the field, you play snaps, where is he lined up? Okay, it looks like he's playing safety in this snap. Okay, this snap, he's kind of blitzing off the edge. Okay, this snap, now it looks like he's just kind of playing more of like an inside linebacker role. 
some of that it seems like as far as for what that, that I questioned was if that really is a fit in Vance Joseph's scheme because Vance kind of has guys who do very specific roles and takes Buda Baker and has him be that guy who moves around and then keeps your Jalen Thompson near the back of the field as kind of your last uh, your last safety valve. So in that regard, I think that there's kind of three outcomes that Cardinals fans are really looking at. Either you take a look at Simmons, he develops, and then kind of you look at the idea of, hey, we're just going to kind of maybe work him in on some packages, some different reps. He's actually started the past few games because Arizona, for their first defensive packages, always put him out there on the field essentially as a starter, which is interesting. But he's not played starting level snaps. Uh, That's been the big difference. So when you're talking about they kind of are trying to find a role for him, and then you look at... Uh, the likes of Devondre Campbell, who's probably going to get a pretty sizable deal, at least in the offseason, if he keeps up this level of play, uh, whether that's from Arizona or someone else, it would seem to make a lot of sense where if you could take Isaiah Simmons, slide him into that Will linebacker role, and then have him under contract for the next four years of a starter, um, be able to use as that coverage guy who's able to kind of glue on to tight ends or other people in the slot, that would be one, I think, uh, potential outcome. The second would be, you know, you kind of move to more of this safety look where you'd be able to move him around in less of a Buda Baker role, but you kind of look at that 2015 Cardinals team where you had your Tyron Matthew, you had your Rashad Johnson back deep, and you had your Tony Jefferson It's kind of your playmaker in the box. And I think that would be kind of the model that I felt like I preferred, John. That was the model I almost saw when the Cardinals did draft Simmons was you already have Buda as kind of your Badger replacement. You got Jalen back deep. Uh, who's able to hopefully improve when he comes back as far as being able to read quarterbacks and stop the run or be able to even kind of cut guys off, maybe grab a pick or two. But then you were talking about kind of that Tony Jefferson role of this kind of box safety slash linebacker role of a guy who's able to make plays either in coverage or in the run game. And I think that would be the other spot that Simmons could excel. The third possibility, John, that a lot of fans aren't wanting to consider is that this is kind of a typical Cardinals move of you drafted a hybrid linebacker without anything that he was truly excelling in, kind of a tweener spot, and then you just kind of move him around to different places trying to find a fit. That's what we saw happen with Hassan Reddick. We saw it even happen with Dayon Buchanan move from the safety to a linebacker position, try to gain some weight, and then you see centers getting matched up on like a 210-pound linebacker just blowing him off of the ball. And I think that's kind of the concern that you have, at least, John, is trying to find that fit for him is going to be difficult. The fact that they announced that the other two players will be playing at safety, there's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see where we stand because uh, through at least three games right now, Jeremy Chin is kind of playing that type of role for the Panthers. He's lining up kind of as a linebacker in some spots. In other places, they're having him drop back a little deeper, but he's racked up – I think it's like some ridiculous amount of tackles that we've seen so far, at least um, right now as of where I've seen he had 12 ta- tackles, including a tackle for loss uh, in their last game that they played against the Chargers also had a QB hit where they had him blitz at the quarterback. It's kind of been ironic that the Cardinals are going to be playing the Panthers and the fact that the Cardinals have a guy like Devondre Campbell, who's able to play ahead of Simmons, that Simmons has struggled while Chin has kind of taken over in most of those defensive rookie of the year type of categories. A lot of people thought Isaiah Simmons is. It just shows, I think, a little bit of a maturity of the Cardinals defense, which I think is good news for Arizona versus a young Panthers defense. But on the other hand, John, like you said, it does show some disappointment. And we'll be interested to see just what he looks like on Sunday because we don't know how long it's going to be for Buda and Jalen to be out. Yeah, and I think, again, if Isaiah Simmons was on the team a year ago, he would have started all 16 games, we presume, next to Jordan Hicks. Um, they 
They didn't really have an answer for the inside linebacking spot next to Hicks last year. Maybe they were screwing around with Hassan Reddick for a little while. But for the most part, I mean, Ezekiel Turner got some reps last year at inside linebacker. But for the most part, Isaiah Simmons would have started all 16 games. So I think that that's kind of where the difference is between then and now. But I think my argument, again, is, you know, you don't have Chris Banjo, Budu Baker, or Jalen Thompson. Curtis Riley is a journeyman practice squad level player. And to start him over Isaiah Simmons, who was the eighth overall pick, who played predominantly, I mean, he played a lot of positions at Clemson, but he played a lot of safety. And a lot of people thought that would be his best position at the NFL level. And I, again, like Curtis Riley and Deontay Thompson, we're talking about strong safety, free safety. Neither one of those those players are a true free safety. The Cardinals really don't have a, a rangy center field free safety on their roster. So I'm not buying the notion that, well, you can't play Isaiah Simmons next to Deontay Thompson because he's not a free safety. Well, neither is Curtis Riley. Uh, who's more athletic? Isaiah Simmons. Who played at a higher level of competition at the college level? Isaiah Simmons. He was the, the Buckus Award winner playing linebacker, or, or excuse me, playing safety. Uh, he's got a better ability to close in on the football. He's a much better tackler. Curtis Riley was missing tackles left and right last week. So I just, I am hopeful that they just are downplaying this for, I, I, I guess, you know, scouting purposes, practice, you know, game plan purposes, and that Isaiah comes out and plays damn near the entire game Sunday. But, I mean, to, to, to come out and say that Curtis Riley is going to be your starting safety as the fifth safety on your roster, when he's got he's got six seasons in the NFL coming out of Fresno State, and he is a journeyman player. For those of you who don't know what that means, is you just bounce around the league, you barely stick to a roster. This is his fourth team in four years. Um, he played with Oakland's defense last year, which was atrocious. The Giants before that, which was atrocious. I just I am not a fan of not playing first-round picks that are top-ten picks. The Cardinals are just, they're notorious for doing this, Blake. And I thought we had moved past this because, you know, the Simmons factor last year, I mean, we were kind of spoiled because everybody knew, or excuse me, the Murray factor, because everybody knew Kyler Murray was going to play for Cliff Kingsbury. But then, you know, Byron Murphy plays all 16 games. He got in his lumps last year. You know, the the Zach Allen, um, Isaiah Simmons, or excuse me, Zach Allen, Andy Isabella thing didn't work out. But you saw some positive trends with a lot of rookies getting playing time. This year, yes, I know they didn't have rookie camp, but I just think that you you don't have anybody else. What are you what are you waiting for? You can't lose this game. Go down with your best players. I can't be led to believe that Isaiah Simmons is a transcendent talent if you won't play him over Curtis Riley. I get it if you want to play him over Jalen Thompson or Buda Baker or Devondre Campbell, or Jordan Hicks. But again, Blake, if you thought your back seven defensively was a strength, why not pivot it at the eighth overall pick? If you thought your defense was already revamped enough, and let's say, Blake, theoretically, they liked Derrick Brown more than Isaiah Simmons, and they would have taken Derrick Brown. And Derrick Brown's off the board, and you have your choice between Isaiah Simmons. And remember, Kelvin Beecham wasn't on the team yet. Marcus Gilbert was signed to a one-year flyer. You didn't know what you had with him. Justin Murray, they think, is a backup. Why not take a right tackle? Why not take a wide receiver, clearly, that they could have used? A wide receiver or right tackle would be playing a hell of a lot more than Isaiah Simmons, and I I never thought we'd say that, Blake. So, And you talk about somebody like C.J. Henderson. I wouldn't have loved the pick at the time, 
but in the benefit of hindsight, probably wouldn't have signed Drake Kirkpatrick because C.J. Henderson would have stepped right in for Robert Alford, and they would have had a nice group with Peterson and Byron Murphy. So it just, I get drafting for positional value, excuse me, value, and sometimes positional value, but you can make an argument. There's not a lot of positional value with, you know, a non-pass rushing linebacker slash safety in the top 10, unless he's, you know, generational safety prospect like Jamal Adams. But there was a clear concern. What was it coming out was, is this another Hassan Reddick just at a greater level with, with Clemson? I, I didn't love the pick at the time because of that factor. But the more I watched of this kid, I was enthralled with the person, the fact that he competed at the highest level at Clemson, that he was a standout award winner at the college level, and that I just thought he would just step in and play you know, 90% of the snaps. And here we are in week four wondering why the top 10 player, once again, is not playing for Arizona. And I'll give you credit, Blake. You were consistent with your take throughout the entire offseason that you would have taken CeeDee Lamb with the eighth overall pick. CeeDee Lamb is consistently logging ridiculous snaps with a loaded Dallas receiving core that includes Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. There is plenty to go around there. You don't think right now with the injuries to Christian Kirk, the ineffectiveness of Larry Fitzgerald, and maybe Hopkins is out this week, that, that CeeDee Lamb wouldn't be a, a, a realistic option with his best friend, Kyler Murray. I just think sometimes you just have to do what makes sense for your roster. And the more the time, the more time that goes on, I'm not labeling Isaiah Simmons as a bust. Nothing could be further from the truth. I just don't think with the way this roster is constructed, if you're talking about playing Curtis Riley over him this weekend, he doesn't have a place on this roster as it's constructed in 2020. And that is unacceptable for a defense that was next to last in every major statistical category last year. It's not good enough. You needed and need top 10 picks to come in and play right away so that in year two, they can make that jump to a Pro Bowl level player. And we are miles and miles away from that right now with Isaiah Simmons. And it's very frustrating because, again, Blake, they make the Murray pick last year and we're like, man, they're finally figuring it out. They moved off of Rosen. They just they went with the best player that helped them right away. And then we look at this draft and it's like, yeah, we, we love the prospect, but what's your plan? And right now, Blake, it looks like they didn't really have a plan. The thing that's toughest to know with Arizona is, is their plan revolve around, we've got our plan for Isaiah and we're not going to let it get you know sidetracked like how it happened because of these injuries, or uh, is it a spot where we're kind of giving a little bit of benefit of the doubt to Cliff Kingsbury with developing some of the guys on the offensive side? You look at how Isabella didn't play last year, Keyshawn Johnson didn't play much last year. They've obviously been working more into the lineup this year. Is it something where we're kind of looking at how, hey, like you kind of trust Cliff and we have a hard time trusting Vance to you know, be able to address or fix a lot of that because we haven't seen a whole lot of improvement. And I, I think what's interesting to through so far is, you know, if if we're in a spot, John, where we didn't have Devondre Campbell and Simmons was out there playing, getting burned two or three times a game, you know, we're like, all right, some of that I think would be learning curve, but at least he's on the field. And so that's the thing I think that you don't know is when you have those injuries or issues, the guy's not ready to go out there and perform, and that's when questions will naturally pop up. I think, at least for the most part, this will be kind of the last thing on the Simmons train is it'll be interesting to see if they're going to have the specific set role for him or if it's going to be more of you're not really going to be able to unlock him until you can get kind of a defensive coordinator who's going to play more of a 
positionless style of defense where, hey, we're going to basically have it where where's Simmons going to be on per snap basis, where Buddha's going to be, where Jalen's going to be. We'll be able to move them around, make it where defense are thrown off guard. Usually if you're a good defensive coordinator, you've got a guy you try to, who's able to be on the field, you can kind of use him. Uh, that idea of this jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, I think there's an important role for that. Uh, but right now we still haven't seen that uh, to play. So maybe things will end up being a little different from expectations. You are not quite sure. I know right now Simmons is probably logging. He's at least getting some snaps. It's not like he's like not on the field at all. He got 18 snaps in week one. He got a, uh, seven snaps in week two. That was about 11% of the snaps. And last week he was in there for about 15% of the snaps. So he's in there about one out of every six snaps on the defensive side. He's in there. So it's not like, you know, he's completely benched and you're just vanished. It's just we're not seeing an impact, at least from him, or the way that he's being used. A lot of it has kind of been in these, like, you know, maybe lower pressure situations in some of those cases. So uh, we'll see if those snaps overall increase. Uh, it is unfortunate, at least for the Cardinals, because you're taking Buda Baker, who had 99% of the snaps last week off. Uh, they split a lot of reps between Deontay Thompson and uh, a little bit of Chris Banjo. Once Banjo went out, that was when they brought in uh, the likes of Curtis Riley. Uh, really, John, the, the biggest thing, I think, for going into this game is going to be this quarterback matchup. How does Kyler Murray bounce back? Is he going to be able to avoid throwing interceptions, especially when you're talking about over the middle? Uh, I think that's going to be step one as far as for how that matches up. And to me, a lot of that will start with what do the Cardinals game plan for this week for the likes of Andy Isabella, for the likes of Larry Fitzgerald? Because we saw when they went to Keyshawn Johnson last week, it just did not work. And the fact that the Cardinals still are seeing Christian Kirk as limited in practice as of today on Thursday, uh, it seems probably unlikely that he's going to be willing to go. Maybe they end up kind of surprising, but even in that regard, you'd love to see Isabella be able to get more snaps in some regard to at least game plan from a little bit more. He's not really an outside guy. They haven't used him much there. And to me, that's been some of the limitation of Kyler Murray. Loves to take advantage of one-on-one -on -one passing uh, uh, matchups. And when teams double DeAndre Hopkins, that means, hey, you're number two on the outside. They're going to get pretty open. Uh, that's one of the things that I think will be curious to watch is how they're going to game plan around that. And the second thing, at least, I think, and this is something we can address, is uh, do you have any concern over DeAndre Hopkins popping up on the injury report with an ankle? He didn't practice on Wednesday. Typically, Wednesday is an off day for him, but it was interesting that they actually did put an injury designation on there. Uh, the former beat writer for the Texans, John McClain, uh, he had actually a really interesting tweet about this, and you know he had years of working and uh, covering DeAndre Hopkins for the Texans. Uh, he was not concerned whatsoever. Uh, he sent out a tweet uh, talking about him being on the list, and he basically said, "Yeah, uh, there's he's don't worry about it. Every single time that he's gone out there." you're always able to basically just count him. He missed one game with the Texans because of an injury for that one. So he said he always answers the bell. He just said, relax, everyone. If the game meant something, no doubt in my mind he would have played up the fracture and played, which is the last game of 2017 where he yeah. had a fractured ankle. And they missed, and he said, hey, if they were going to be in the playoffs, he would have taped up the ankle with the fracture and gone out there and played for that one. And what's <laughs> nice, John, is that that's the mentality, at least, that is going to be taking over for the likes of a Larry Fitzgerald. So I guess the question, at least, to you, John, is do you have concern about Fitz falling off a bit or or concern about Hopkins, some of the injuries going into this game? Because right now he, he's the most important cog, I think, on the cards, Kyler Murray notwithstanding. Yeah, okay, so I'll probably get some hate. For, for, first of all, let's let's acknowledge John McClain's tweet. 
McLean broke the Hopkins news uh, before Adam Schefter uh, mentioned that the that Hopkins could be dealt to Arizona as part of the the David Johnson deals, if I recall. So the guy's completely in touch with with everything Houston football and knows has a personal relationship with DeAndre Hopkins. So I I was probably like seventy thirty he's going to play, and then after that tweet, I'm like ninety nine percent he's going. I mean, he doesn't need to practice. He's that kind of player. Plexico Burris never used to practice. Randy Moss used to sit out weeks at a time. Uh, Hopkins could run routes in his sleep at this point, especially against that secondary in Carolina. So he should be fine if he's a little bit slowed down. I mean, he's a, he's an intermediate route runner that breaks tackles. He's not a burner uh, at this point, although he can get open deep. Um, I have no, no issues with that. Um, I do think Kirk has a chance to play, and I think he's probably feeling the sense of urgency from somebody like Andy Isabella. And boy, do we love to see that. Two second-round picks competing against one another for playing time. They're always in each other's Instagram comments and mentions, so you, you, you can see they have a, a, a favorable relationship with each other, but I also think, like, Isabella could take Kirk's playing time significantly reduced. I mean, like, Isabella right now, six receptions, 114 yards, two touchdowns. He's on pace for, after essentially being a non-factor that first week, Blake, 600 yards and 11 TDs. I think that with an increase of playing time, he could absolutely eclipse those numbers. Those are usually reserved for Kirk. If Kirk cannot show an ability to stay healthy, which by all accounts, that's never been a problem for Isabella. He just hasn't been ready to get on the field. I I think that we could see a a passing of the torch here. I love Kirk. I want Kirk to do well. I was a big advocate in him. I thought he showed a lot of promises rookie season. Andy Isabella was Cliff Kingsbury's guy. And you're seeing now they're starting to utilize him in different ways. And here's another thing that Kirk has had issues with in the past other than staying healthy, and that's dropping the football. Isabella catches, has caught damn near everything that's come his way. Um, He had four targets last week. He caught all four, two targets the week before, three targets the week before, caught two of them. Um, So, uh, and he's, and he's faster than Kirk at this point. And they have similar body types in the sense that like their stocky build, Kirk's a little bit taller but it's just something to watch for, but it's a nice problem to have. Here's where I'll probably get some hate from people. I love Larry Fitzgerald, one of my favorite Cardinals of all time. I thought that that was an unnecessary overpay, giving him eight figures for what equates to, we've talked about it in the past, kind of a de facto blocking tight end that with some with a re- elite receiving ability at the position. But I also didn't know they'd be able to get DeAndre Hopkins. I, I think that he's on a year-to-year basis with this ownership that they'll continue to bring him back. But, I mean, he's making $11 million this year. That's multiple starters on the defense. I mean, that's – would you say, Blake, right now, that somebody like um, for Carolina, Robbie Anderson's a better player than Larry Fitzgerald? You would absolutely say that. Robbie Anderson's making half of what Larry Fitzgerald's making and was available on the open market. He's 6'3", 190, 27 years old. I just – they get infatuated with this year-to-year thing with, with Fitz, and I, I love Larry, but the baton has been passed. Uh, last year, Fitz was their best receiver, and he deserved every penny. DeAndre Hopkins, they're paying him almost $20 million next year. DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in football right now. Statistically, PFF has him graded as the best um, receiver in football. And then you've got a couple of younger players who you're excited about. Is Fitz needs to be targeted more yes but also like his his grade by pff was not favorable last week i think it was in the 50s and limited playing time so i just think that that's something to watch they will bring him back it's not like i'm saying they're going to replace him they'll bring him back as long as he wants to play 
just the dollar amount, is he going to match the production? If Fitzgerald has 500 yards this year and like five touchdowns, is that worth $11 million, Blake? I $11 million is somebody that you feel like can be a Pro Bowl-level player on your roster. When you get in, into the eight figures, I mean, think about this. DeAndre Hopkins was making roughly $14 million before that pay raise, and Fitz is making $11 million. It's just a little bit worrisome for me, but I do think he's going to have a bounce-back game this week because they're going to make a point to target him. The secondary is susceptible to big plays. And I also think, Blake, they also need to get back to the screen game that they got away from the early portion of this year. And no team had more yards on the screen game than than the Cardinals a year ago. Now, David Johnson's gone. But Chase Edmonds, Kenyon Drake can fill that role and can catch the football adequately. Um, I just think they need to be more creative, but not to the point where they're cute. That end around last week to uh, uh, Christian Kirk, or excuse me, uh, Andy Isabel. I didn't think that that was a good move. Um, I would just be careful with going too much east and west, and I think just making a point to go vertically on Carolina, as long as Kyler's not, you know, looking down defenders like he was a week ago. This is a, this is a game where, I, you know, let's let's focus on Fitz, Hopkins, Isabella, Kirk if he plays, and let's get away from we need to force critical throws to Keyshawn Johnson on second and third down. I just I can't see them losing this game, Blake. I think that they're humbled from a week ago. I don't care about the travel. I don't care about the road game. They're too talented, even with the injuries at safety. They Yes, you lose Buda Baker, who right now is your best defender. But offensively, there is no way with an offensive college head coach and Matt Rule that their defensive staff should be able to hold unless Kyler melts down again. And that was a meltdown last week by his standards. There's no reason this this Carolina defense should be able to hold this group of talent for Arizona to under 30 points. It's unacceptable. Arizona's offensive line, by all counts, should be healthy. We should see Mason Cole back this week. If not, Lamont Gilliard can fill in admirably. Dan Arnold, we, we should be able to see him up the seam this week. They're just too talented at, at quarterback, skilled player, and head coach. So... I'll go on the record as my official prediction, Blake, for this game. I think Arizona wins it. I think their defense gives up some points. Maybe some of it's in garbage time, but I think Kyler's refocused. I think the running game takes off. Arizona wins it. I'm going to say they score 40. 40 to 28 is the final score this week. Well, thanks for the projection, John. Yeah, the the it'll be interesting. I think you mentioned Robbie Anderson. He's currently on a two-year, $20 million deal, and he's top 10 in receiving yards in the NFL. He's been okay a, a little bit more but still still less than larry yeah it's still a two-year deal overall for that now he is getting 12 million guaranteed for this season i'll drop it down to 8 million next season i don't know if he has any guaranteed money next season i'd have to look that up but like you said john it's the idea of when the cardinals brought back fitzgerald a lot of what you were bringing back in a lot of ways was kind of a face of the franchise a security blanket um and in a lot of ways it was you're also kind of paying for um, him to be able to play again because you didn't know you were going to get a DeAndre Hopkins. We might have been looking at this as this part of, all right, well, we gave up, uh, they say other teams trading some picks. We uh, don't want to give up a top eight pick. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and see. Maybe it would have been a trade for Diggs or something. Perhaps they would have tried to sign someone in the free agent market. Things may have been a bit different, I think, for them addressing it. But if worse came to worse and you're having to draft a wide receiver eight overall, you needed a veteran in Larry. And I think the Cardinals ended up getting a steal overall still in Hopkins, as you said, the highest graded wide receiver in the NFL. 
Uh, And I think that in that regard, it's something at least that you can kind of say is right now you're just kind of in that spot where you can say, eh, maybe you could have, would have, should have. But the point ultimately is if you're going to have Fitzgerald on this team, you're hoping that he's going to be kind of one of those people, like you said, helping to hand off the baton. And we don't know if this is his last year or not. Fitz may want to come back for one more year. We'll have to see what obviously he'll have for the price if the Cardinals will want him back now that they're paying Hopkins a lot of money. Uh, I, I think that's something at least to be able to watch is how Fitzgerald at least is going to react overall because he's never been the kind of guy who will complain about his yards or his catches. Uh, he even said, hey, if the ball comes my way, it comes my way. I don't think we have to worry as much about Fitzgerald so much as seeing what the development looks like on this team of some of their other players to recognize, hey, are we going to be able to have life after Larry Fitzgerald, if a team's going to cover DeAndre Hopkins. And so far through that answer, I think you, you'd take a look at a team like the Panthers and how they've kind of addressed it with kind of a three-headed monster of DJ Moore, who's been kind of their deep threat guy. He has been probably, ironically enough, the uh, lowest as far as the being the catchable passes from Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of the plays have been short. He's been good at getting some yards after catch, but really the explosion has come from Anderson and from Curtis Samuel as well, who's kind of having a little bit of a breakout year. Um, he's played even a little bit of running back, which is a position he played at Ohio State. Uh, those three players, at least for the most part, Greg Olson's no longer on the team, but that's where their passing offense goes through. And when you watch their t- offense, John, they're a lot more similar to the Arizona Cardinals than you would think. They do a lot of kind of five wide different types of sets. They'll have three wide receivers. They'll have Ian Thomas as their one tight end, a lot of that 11 personnel. And then Mike Davis. So a lot of five-man protections, not as much as far as for the six, a lot of these quick passing throws. Again, the OC that they have for the Panthers is Joe Brady, who's best known for being kind of an understudy to Sean Payton before moving to that LSU offense for Joe Burrow last year. And what they like to do a lot that I think we'll want to watch at least is not just going to be some of those short throws. They'll also use play action from under center a lot to be able to kind of set up the deep passing game to take some shots downfield and uh, give to his credit, Teddy Bridgewater, who is always kind of considered to be a chuck down quarterback like Alex Smith. He's been aggressive uh, to a fault in some cases this year. It really came back to bite them in the Buccaneers game because the Buccaneers, well, <laughs> he had threw two interceptions. He threw that basically cost them the game at the end of it, but he was still pushing the ball downfield. That'll be something that I think you could look at if you're a Cardinals fan, because currently he's had two touchdowns, only two interceptions. And the Panthers have been one of the worst red zone offenses in the league this year. They're having some of the same growing pains under Matt Rule that Cliff Kingsbury had last year. Now, you're taking Christian McCaffrey off of the team. That's a huge win for the Cardinals because we saw him, I think, what was it, like a 70-yard touchdown he had against them last year or something? Just right up the middle, split the defense, and was gone. He's been replaced with Mike Davis, who is in his first game back. He was actually a little bit deadly, not in the rushing game, but in the receiving game. He had eight catches for 74 yards against Tampa. Last week, he had eight catches for 45 yards. He only had 46 yards rushing in the game. They've kind of been much more of a, hey, we can't really run the ball, but we can at least throw it. And that'll be something to see how the Cardinals will match up. Because, John, this is the game. If you're going to try to force Teddy to turn the ball over, with a bad offensive line, with him being aggressive down the field, despite not having maybe the strongest arm. If you can kind of bait him into a bad throw or force a fumble, 
I think that's going to be the spot where you can beat this team, John. The biggest danger I would feel like would be if they're able to run the ball and get production off of these screen passes, if there's missed tackles from your safeties. That would be where I'd start to get some concern, John, because then you're going to basically have to be counting on Kyler Murray to not turn the ball over against an aggressive Panthers team. And uh, I think that's going to be the key to this game, John, overall, is trying to get Teddy Bridgewater uncomfortable. Uh, the hope that I think you'd have in this game is Kyler Murray's legs. If he's able to extend the play and run and be able to set up Kenyon Drake to be able to, you know, on just the typical RPO, get Drake some of those extra two or three yards from defenders having to account for him. I think that's how you can go out there and be able to have a chance in this game. Because, John, if, if the Cardinals don't win this game, I'll, I'll take your prediction one step further. It's going to be hard to argue that the Cardinals are a good team if you're dropping two of these games in a row to a team like the Lions and a team like the Panthers, because that's kind of the mentality of good teams usually don't go and lose games and drop two on the road. That's usually a death sentence in the NFL because, hey, if you drop two games in a row, another team in your division wins two in a row, suddenly you've got so much ground to make up. And that's why it's hard to say that this game is more of a must win. But I think if you're talking about a fast start to the season and how the Cardinals have been significantly poor performance in the month of September, being able to go into Carolina at 10 a.m. And if you can come out with a win, however it takes to get it done and start off three and one, that's probably the best launching point I think that you could have asked for overall, John. Yeah, they want to be taken seriously, Blake. They got to win this game. They got to reassert themselves. Um, we can't I, I would have had a concern, Blake, like you mentioned, trap game with the Jets next week. But I think everybody is refocused on. I don't expect Kyler Murray to have back-to-back performances like that. I think he's going to limit his turnovers. I don't expect him to throw an interception in the slightest. And sometimes, you know, having a refocused kind of effort can can put things in perspective. I think the offense is going to play their best game of the year. And regardless of what happens with the defense, I, I think that it doesn't matter. If Kyler Murray in this offense is, is playing up to their capabilities, it won't matter. They'll, they'll be able to be too imposing for a, a rebuilding Carolina roster, and I think they'll win this game by double digits. Yeah, this will be a crucial, uh, this will be absolutely critical as far as being able to see how the Cardinals are able to um, make moves in this game. Uh, I think that that's the one question that we'll have, John. I think we got three questions going in at least. Uh, I, I don't know if I see 40 points being able to get hung up, but I do think that the Cardinals can hit 30 points in this game if they're able to avoid turnovers. I think what you'd love to see would be the rushing attack getting back to kind of some of the basics. And I think what you're also looking for from your young quarterback, like you said, is a bounce back again. We've seen the mentality. Uh, we know that Kyler wants to be great, that he is continually working to improve himself. What I think you do is you just want to say, all right, you've got everything that's there on paper. Now go out on the field and get it done. Um, I'd also love to see DeAndre Hopkins get, at least get another red zone target, be able to kind of get him the ball more. Uh, he's just having such d a dominant performance. Uh, a lot of times guys at least uh, care about their stats and their numbers. Um, to him to have uh, all of these numbers he's putting up and to see Kyler Murray running the ball into the red zone, I mean, we know he's a cheat code, but you'd love to be able to see it when teams are – able to play contain for that one. You'd love to be able to see teams be so worried about Murray running the ball. They're able just to toss it up to Big Dan Arnold, toss it up to Hopkins, get Fitz a couple more uh, stats to pad at least his Hall of Fame-type career. I think that's what you're hoping will be in this as a game where you're talking about the Cardinals being able to put together a complete game. Uh, we'll see what happens and what goes on. The Panthers, I don't think, are a slouch. And after the Lions game, John, it's easy to say if you can lose to the Lions, technically speaking, you can lose to every anyone. I do think this is less likely, however, 
um, in terms of that. I don't think we're going to get the same performance from Kyler. And as I mentioned earlier this week, you know, uh, everyone's like, oh, man, Kyler put up a bad game and a stinker of a game. Well, he still accounted for two touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, I should say, and a rushing touchdown, not to mention about 300 or so total yards. Now, he turned the ball over three times. That cost him the game. But <laughs> it, we've come a long way, it seems like, John, from the Josh Rosen typical, you know, one touchdown, two picks, 140 yards passing, Cardinals going, you know, one of eight on third down from the likes of the Max Hall and Ryan Lindley's. It was something at least that I think we didn't even talk about as much because the loss still felt fresh was just how impressive Murray was and how the Cardinals still managed to move the football in a loss to the point where it's like you are kind of in that spot of just having a talent at quarterback that can keep you in any game like that. And to me, at least, it's kind of almost a reassuring from a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, who maybe were not quite like the Titanic is sinking yet. I think it was more of just a, it was more of a lower your expectations type of game for them. I think we didn't need to lower them as much as I saw overall. I saw a lot of encouraging things, I think, if I was a Cardinals fan, specifically from the fact that this is where they're at with the quarterback position, and that should terrify any defense. Yeah, I, I think they're too talented. They were moving the ball at will. They didn't punt until late in the game. Um, and they, listen, they had a four-point four lead, I think three or four-point lead entering that fourth quarter. The defense gave up six points, but I, I just think Arizona, had they been able just to put up any points in the fourth quarter and be efficient, they would have won that game going away. I think that they could have put a Detroit away with one more touchdown and, you know, give Detroit credit. Their defense played well. Jamie Collins played his best game of the year. Their defensive line got after it when they needed to, and, and their field position game won out in the end. So I think if you look back and the, the script for the Cardinals was just, hey, if we can just – because what Arizona was doing was when they were having positive plays and not turning the ball over, they were averaging a, a high yard per attempt, a higher per carry. When they, when they were running the football, uh, their drives ended because – they made mistakes. It was not they were overpowered by Detroit's front seven. They weren't. They were just making too many mental mistakes. They got their their penalties down last week, and so they can chalk that up as a moral victory. But if the Cardinals, you always hear, we just want to take care of business. We're not going to worry about anything else but doing our own job. And if they can tighten that up, they just have too much talent for Carolina to be able to hang around defensively. If they can come out and win the turnover battle, which they have not done one game yet this year. I don't believe so. Maybe against Washington, they forced a couple picks against Haskins. But I I think for the most part, you know, they don't want to be in a position where they're constantly playing to a disadvantage because they keep turning the football over. And that's so uncharacteristic for a player like Murray, who set the rookie record for most snaps without a, without a turnover last year for a rookie quarterback. So we're going to see a refocused team that I think is going to win handily Sunday. Yep. We'll see how it goes, John. This is going to be a big match for the Cardinals. You're back east at a 10 a.m. start time. Uh, you've got that as the beginning of a long road trip. We'll be here to talk about all of that, at least for that one. And that will wrap it up for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. If you're listening to us, uh, we appreciate uh, everyone who's been able to uh, support the show by listening it or sharing it with others. Uh, we love bringing you Arizona Cardinals content. Uh, if you're listening to us for the first time or looking for a more convenient place, you can find our content on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, places like iHeart, or podcast sites like Stitcher and Himalaya. And as always, you can find us on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, that's my co-host at Johnny Venerable. My name is Blake Murphy, and we'll catch you on the other side of Arizona versus Carolina 
It'll be the end of quarter one of the season. 16 games. We'll have four of them done by the next time we check in. We'll see you later, Arizona Cardinals fans.